Welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Wordbee. My name is Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. And today we'll be talking to Olivier Debuny. He's the CEO at Lingua Custodia, a provider for customized machine translation engines for the financial industry. How are you doing, Olivier? Very well, thank you. Hello. Great to have you. Cool. So let's just like kick things off with a with a sort of general question about, you know, Lingua Custodia and, and the sorts of things you're doing over there. So why don't you start by just telling us uh, what your solutions are? Okay. What we do is that we apply machine learning to financial translations by creating machine translation engines dedicated to the financial domain and more specifically to uh, subdomains uh, within the financial world. I, I realized that my team was spending 10 to 15% of their time in translation because everyone speaks English and another language in that domain. And therefore, it's so easy to ask people to uh, translate uh, very urgent documents or very technical documents. And uh, so this is how we ended up creating Lingua Custodia together with a business partner. And so we are creating uh, specific machine translation engines for some particular type of financial documents. For example, we, are, we have created a translation engines dedicated to the translation of fund prospectuses or fund fact sheets if you are in the asset management industry. Then we have created another one for equity research papers or macro research papers, which are different type of terminology. And then in the corporate finance arena, we created one for annual reports, integrating the IFRS terminology, but also then technical type of engines for financial regulatory type of text, and even something as specific as corporate action notices in the financial world. And then, so those are our off-the-shelf translation engines. And of course, we can create customized translation engines for our clients who have very specific business cases. So you mentioned you started doing that because like for the translation of very urgent documents, what would that be? So to take a very uh, simple example, if you're on the sales team, you're going to receive a request for proposal from a client in Milan, in Italian. You're going to translate that in English and send it to the headquarters, usually in London, where it's going to be answered in English. So your document, which was initially 150 pages long, is going to become 300 pages long. And because it's going to take you time to answer this, you're going to send it back to Milan, something like two days before the deadline. So the sales team in Milan will have to translate a very technical financial document explaining or presenting a financial expertise in two days. And they always have this dilemma of how to do this. You know, should they outsource that to a translation agency, but they will have only a couple of hours then to bring their added value as salespeople locally, or do they try to do it themselves? And the idea is that in that particular case, uh, if we uh, take into account all what we translated in the past, we can create a customized engine for them that will allow them to really go quicker and address this type of issue. So that's one, one type of use case. But once you have clients, then you need to communicate with them. And then you, you enter uh, the, the mode which can happen very frequently when you have a financial crisis of uh, urgent communication. You need to be very transparent and very reactive with your clients. And when a client calls you and asks, okay, what is the 
this such or such companies went bankrupt yesterday, what is the impact for my investments? You need to be quick at answering that claims, but you need to respect the equality of uh, the financial investors if they are invested in mutual funds. So that means that you need to answer that client and all the other clients as well at the same time very quickly. And the problem is that they are based in several countries. So you need to answer this very quickly in several languages. So that's another type of use case where you need to be very reactive to translate this. Then another kind of uh, situation where it came up that this type of solution was really necessary, it's when you enter a very technical type of uh, language where it's becoming very complicated uh, to find uh, external freelancers or translation agencies who can consistently deliver a good level of quality for those very, very technical type of text. And this is where what happens is that after two or three bad experiences, then it gets internalized. So those translations will be performed in-house, either directly by finance professionals, which is not effective and people hate doing that, or it may go to the stage where the financial institution will create an in-house translation team. And you can see this, for example, also for equity research. When you produce every morning some um, papers on how a certain company evolved yesterday, the paper you're going to produce is going to be valid for three or four hours as the market opens. And um, if you are based in, uh, in some markets, it's important to publish this in several languages, in English and in the local language. And that's where you have this uh, huge pressure in order to deliver an urgent translation as well in a very, very short turnaround. So that's all. In all those cases, you see, this is why we typically we have a translation engine dedicated to equity research it's to address this particular need. That's, that's where it's coming from. Well, that explains the uh, famously long hours that people in the finance industry are working then, right? Like, <laughs> it's obviously tr- translation. <laughs> yes, among other things, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have, there are several aspects. And when you translate, you translate uh, to communicate. And that's the examples I was taking here. And there's another case as well, which is uh, when you see them working late, it's also because they need to do analysis and to understand what they invest in. And that's where the translation for understanding purposes comes into uh, the picture. When you are looking at um, the, if we want to stay in, in Italy, I know you're based in, in, in Croatia, Robert, so it's not too far. Mm-hmm. So if we want to stay uh, in, in South uh, Europe uh, and uh, you, you are um, specialized in the assessment of Italian small caps, those companies are going to produce financial communication, maybe financial annual reports, may, but may not be translated in English. Everything will be available only in Italian. And uh, if you want to be able to do your analysis of a market, you need to understand those. So you need to use also, uh, you, that's where machine translation tool will be very helpful in order to do those analysis. You can also even do use this type of tools to perform uh, credit analysis when you have clients uh, 
or if you have uh, Chinese clients, Chinese companies where you have invested uh, in their debt or in their bonds, you're keen to uh, follow what's happening with them. And uh, everything that they publish, you want to know straight away you know, what, what's happening. And uh, so therefore, that means you need to be able to translate uh, straight away all their, their communication, their financial communication from Chinese to English in order to be able to understand and uh, do your, perform your analysis. So it's another reason why they may work late. Right. Any idea how big the financial part of the translation market is, like compared to the rest? So this is a very, this is a tough question. If you look at uh, recent numbers, you know, we're saying, okay, the translation market is 40 or 50 billion US dollars, roughly, per year. I am tempted to say uh, that the financial market, uh, financial translations uh, can go up to almost 20% of that. Not in volume, but in value. Because those translations are also more, are very technical and are more expensive than a big chunk of uh, the translation that are being uh, performed. So that's, that's how I would assess it. That's also based on what I have seen in terms of expenses and how much is spent by all the, the banks and the investment houses in external translation, but also uh, in internal translations. Mm-hmm. And I see the time, you know, when I was telling you that just my small uh, team, or I had a team of uh, 50, 70 people and 10% of that team, uh, that, uh, of their time was dedicated to translation, that's already making a budget, you see, for finance professionals who are usually on the higher scale in terms of salaries. Apart from that, it's more technical and probably a little more expensive than other types of translation. What other characteristics define the financial industry and financial localization from others? One thing uh, that I think is very, a very good characteristic of that, it's a type of language where depending on the type of uh, document you are in, you're going to leave more or less words in English. Usually people say but in the financial domain, everyone speaks English and everything is only done in English. No, that's not true. A lot of things is localized in local languages, but it will be more or less depending on, uh, like if you are in a legal documentation regarding a fund and you're talking about high yield investments, for example, and if you want to translate that in French, you're going to translate everything. That's going to become investissement à haut rendement. But if you are for the same company, more on the marketing side, presenting an expertise, you're going to say investissement high yield in French. It would sound completely ridiculous to say investissement à haut rendement in a marketing brochure. I think that's a fairly, and that's valid in many different aspects. On top of that, you have a lot of abbreviations that are, if you're a broker talking about those type of investment, you may say investissement HY for high yield investments. So that's, uh, and everyone will understand what it refers to. I think that's the specific complexity that you're going to find there is that you need to therefore know what are the different lexical fields within the financial domain where you will have more or less anglicisms or words extracted from of English that stay in English in all the other languages or also the type of abbreviations uh, that are used. And then we have, to, of course, you have to deal with very specific type of um, 
there are specific type of difficulties that are quite funny. The name of the financial products also that should not be translated. Common mistakes is to see those translated when they should not be. If you have a phone called uh, the name of a company, uh, uh, you know, uh, such and such uh, asset management, uh, American equity fund, you leave American equity fund in all languages. So that's the type, those type of things. So yeah, I think every domain has its own specificities. Uh, for finance, I think this, it's also this question of how do you play with what do you leave or not in English? And this is valid also when you want to customize an engine for a client. And that's a good reason why you, you need to customize. Mm-hmm. How do you translate global head of fixed income uh, in French? Uh, but again, it, it depends. If a company uh, is an American or is a very international company, you will live as global head of fixed income. If it's a French company with uh, international uh, scope, it, you would say uh, responsable mondial fixed income. And if it's a Franco-French company, uh, it will become, it will all be said in French as a responsable mondial des taux. And that is very specific again. Uh, there you see then, not only you have this distinction at the different at the type of business and type of documents, but then after that you have another layer of complexity at the level of each client and each entity. You know, how are you going to call uh, this team in English and do you localize the name in other languages, the name of the procedures, the name of the compliance procedures, which are very heavy that you have to follow, that have to be translated on a regular basis. All this is um, is a specific difficulty that you've got there. Hmm. So here's a question for you. When I think of financial translations, like some of these heavier things, like you just mentioned, like the compliance one, I also think of like the legal field and I know it's not the same, but at least in legal, like when I read documents in UK English versus American English, so I'm American, right? But when I do read a lot of UK legal documents and to me, they sound like they're written on another planet. Like I know, I know that it's English and I can more or less understand what's going on there, but it's pretty, pretty different the way that they use, you know, formal sort of English compared to Americans. So I guess I'm wondering, like, do you ever find that you have to tailor your engines for American English or UK English? So uh, definitely, yes. You always do. Uh, you have a different approach for American English or uh, British English. Then when it comes to the type of um, the wording itself and the way things are going to be translated, so not only the, the putting an S instead of a Z or uh, adapting the, the language, but also for the type of translation. Here we are, when we deal also with legal text, uh, we deal with uh, financial kind of financial legal text, where you have, particularly uh, in Europe, uh, you know, we have, there are strong standards that have been put in place in order to make sure that uh, the financial products can be easily compared from one country to another. And those standards have really, they have a strong worldwide footprint and are kind of becoming the norm on how financial products should be introduced and presented to the point that now we are selling, you know, Luxembourg phones are being sold uh, in Hong Kong, uh, in China, uh, even in Japan. And therefore, the nomenclature and the way you're going to present uh, of the legalistic jargon is always going to be presented in the same way. So there, in that case, you would not have difference in terms of the way the, the sentences are drafted between American English and English English, except for the S, the Z, and the center with the R, E, or E, R, and all those type of things. 
it may not be as complex as a pure traditional legal uh, contract, which is not in, within the framework of a regulatory uh, body or supervisory authority. If you see what I mean. Was it mm -hmm. clear? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. So you mentioned on your website that financial institutions have hidden translation activities. That sounds quite mysterious. Can you not tell us more about that? <laughs> yes, that's what I was mentioning at the beginning, that, you know, because in the financial institutions, everyone speaks English and another language. People end up going back and forth between several languages all the time in-house. And this is not, you see, it's, it's to identify, it's hidden, why do we say it's hidden? It's because it's not a cost that appears at the bottom of an invoice, but it's an important cost because that's time that people do not dedicate to their proper financial activity. Mm -hmm. That's where it comes back. So that refers to the 10% of the time of my team I was referring to as well. This 10% of the time was the hidden cost dedicated to translation when it was not in their job description to translate anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When people were joining the team, the team was dealing with institutional clients in 15 different countries, uh, answering uh, all the questions of big sovereign bonds or, uh, or communicating with them or being their client relationship manager and uh, trying also to, to sell new products to them. They are not supposed to translate anything, but in reality, they do it a lot, you know, all, mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, you're based in Germany. Suddenly, uh, the German regulator is going to come up with a new uh, a new rule that may have an impact. You need to explain it to your colleagues. You're not, Louis. You're not going to send that to a translation agency because you, you know, it's it's that's not how it's going to. You know, people will tend to explain it themselves to to, to do part of pages themselves and uh, and then explain it that way. It's all those little bits and pieces. That uh, they end up uh, doing themselves, you know. When uh, the legal team also, uh, they, they will, you will always have a lot of uh, back and forth translation. Uh, if it's in France between uh, French and English, if it's in Germany between German and English, because people will do it themselves, they will have uh, the source text uh, in English. They will localize it in German uh, themselves instead of sending it out, uh, losing a few days and receiving it back and correcting it themselves because they will see it's not exactly like they want, because it has to be perfect. They'd rather do it themselves directly. So that's all those kind of activities that are at some stage, it becomes a pain point. And that's when you're going to have someone who's going to, okay, let's let's see how we can assess this. And this is, you know, that, that's how I came up also launching the company. That's what, That was mm -hmm. the, the source of creating uh, the, the company. Even if myself, I'm not a specialist in, I, I'm not personally an IT guy or specialized in machine learning. I came really from the domain because this pain point had been so strong. Right. So, but there are highly specialized translators out there, right? That are pretty good at making financial translations. Um, yes. So is it like, is it a problem where, you know, the financial institutions are having a hard time finding an agency or a translator that specializes in that thing? Or like... Why is it that they can't work with... Because I know that there are great translators for finance, right? Yes, there are, definitely. The problem is it's a capacity issue. 
we are getting a lot of phone calls uh, saying, uh, uh, look, we have this urgent or we have uh, this urgent communications, which are just, you know, two pages long. It's, uh, we just finished it at two. We need to send it out at, at four. Tell me why it's impossible to get it done properly by someone who understands what we're talking about. And then the answer is simple. I say, look, the very good, uh, the good people, uh, the good financial translators are those who understand what they translate. So when you, they, uh, they see a sentence uh, such as uh, the SNB decided to DPEG last week, they know that the SNB is the Swiss National Bank and that uh, the DPEG uh, refers to the currency, uh, the, the peg, uh, the, co the connection between euro and Swiss franc. So it's easy for them to, trans to translate that. If it's someone who's never done finance and who sees that sentence, that's going to be a bit more complicated. The problem is that when you have those type of, uh, the, the problem is that those very good translators, so there are not that many, and they are very busy and they are very expensive and they are working on long projects. So everything that, small, uh, that arrives as a small uh, two pages, three pages long project, that will not go to them that will go to someone else. And that's where it triggers insatisfaction. And that's where, therefore, the people in the financial institutions are going to end up doing it themselves. For the big, long documents, this is where usually people will still try to go to and find the right financial translation agency to help them covering those documents, except when, again, there again, there is a huge time pressure, such as the request for proposal or the uh, commercial uh, request that I was uh, mentioning at the beginning. But there's a capacity issue. There's just not enough people uh, able to translate very mm. technical financial text. That's, that's yeah. the problem. And also, that's also why the price is so high. And maybe they're mm -hmm. not, maybe these translators aren't working enough hours. Like, <laughs> no, they, they should do. be working the same no, number they, of hours they, as the financial uh, industry. No, like. no, actually, they do. They do work. They do work long hours because okay, we, we work. We work with some of them. Huh? So um, yeah, yeah, and like fourteen we, hours a day, and they they probably use like huge laptops, you know, like that are like <laughs> two inches thick and all that, like. <laughs> no, no, and, and 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 you know it's tricky also we because we we work we're establishing a model where we sell our overshell translation engines to our clients who can use it directly as a tool that helps them to translate and they finish and proofread themselves. We create also and uh, and sell customized translation engines. And on top of that, uh, we also provide post-editing service. So that means for the languages that they don't uh, monitor, we can also find financial translators who's going to finish the output of a machine if we have a translation engine that is adequate for this type of documents. So we know how complicated and difficult it is to find people who know their stuff when it comes to translating financial documents. There are also distinctions between those who are more at ease with legal financial documents or with marketing legal documents. And the worst scenario you may find are uh, when you have a kind of very technical software dedicated to a financial world for which you need to do a marketing brochure. <laughs> Good luck. That's, a, that's one of the toughest ones you can, you can do. Where the machine cannot help on those ones because it's really too tough. There you need to have pure human view on that because it's, it's really very creative and at the same time very technical. And that's, those, those are the most complex type of translation. And you know, the translators that can do that are very scarce. There are not that many who can do that. So basically, translation students should really consider going into the finance market because there's a huge need for good financial translators. 
Yes, yes. The thing also is that we should also consider uh, spending, uh, trying to spend a bit of time working in the financial sector as well. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, maybe some of those uh, young auditors out there that are, uh, you know, not really happy being a young auditor, maybe they should consider <laughs> becoming a translator. Yes, exactly. That'd be lucrative. Yeah. No, no, it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I attended, uh, when was it last year, um, translation agency forum uh, here in France. And one of the big topics of discussion is uh, how can we uh, all start to do more uh, financial translations? So, because, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's the tricky part. And that's also why uh, uh, we are in the business, uh, specifically of machine translation in that area, because there is a capacity issue. So at some stage, uh, you will need to put uh, more machine together with uh, human beings in order to, to do more volumes and to cope with an increase in volumes. Both have to work hand in hand. You cannot have a machine alone. And I think less and less you will be able to have the human being alone. So that's a question of finding. The industry has been a bit soul searching on this, on finding the right balance so that uh, everyone is finding it uh, interesting on a financial point of view, on an intellectual point of view, to work more and more uh, machine plus uh, human you know, professional uh, technical translator reviewer after that. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years. So it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Werby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. Are your MT engines, do they just differ in the terminology that they've been trained with or how are they different? So each engine is created uh, for a specific type of lexical field that we have identified as being very specific. I mentioned front prospectuses, front fact sheets, corporate annual reports, equity research, macro research, and so on. So we train those engines uh, When we create a, a report, a, a translation engine specifically for font fact sheet, we're going to collect thousands and thousands and thousands of font fact sheets in different languages and train an engine specifically for that. Same thing for prospectuses, same thing for Anven. That's how it's going to become naturally, uh, you know, it's going to answer naturally to uh, what I was, type of example I was mentioning before of uh, translating high yield investment, either making it fully in German or leaving some terms in English, depending on the type of um, engine that has been selected on this. 
It's really a question of terminology, indeed. And when we create a customized engine, we had a, one particular case for HSBC, which asked us to, uh, they had a particular issue which was relating to their in-house procedures for their global trade receivable finance business. The problem was that uh, they publish uh, regularly, uh, almost twice a month, an update uh, to their technical procedures. Those technical procedures are published in English and they are written in India by non-native English speakers. So you can imagine very long sentences uh, with very low plenty of acronyms and technical terms and so on. And problem is that if you look at HSBC in France, because we are based in France, those procedures are not valid uh, if they are not in French. So the employees are not liable if they do a mistake. So, and it was taking them through an external agency, uh, it was taking them 23 days to have that translated. And I do not blame the translation agency because the first time I looked at the text, I could not understand a single word of it. Uh, <laughs> it was very, very hard to understand what the hell they are talking about. So they, because the translation agency was translating it, it was coming back. And then you had two different teams who were rewriting it in-house. And then it was coming out 23 days later. So they had 23 days during which we were exposed on a legal point of view with their staff. So we came to us and said, could we try one of your off-the-shelf engines for this? And then I said, well, actually, you know, none of our off-the-shelf engine is going to work for that because we did not train an engine with Indian English for your type of business. So it's not going to work and say, okay, but we have a lot of content that we translated in the past. So let's see how the machine can learn. I said, okay, let's do that. So we started at the beginning with an, one of our kind of standard uh, specialized off-the-shelf engine. Uh, we were at 30%. And then after a first training with their data, we reached 78% of quality, which allowed them to then publish their procedures in French in four days instead of 23 or 24 days. So that's, that's you see, the, the, the terminology is indeed, uh, and the data with which you train the engine is key. Mm. You know, people are using a lot of buzzwords with uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so on. Like I did, you see, my first sentence was that. But, you know, it's not what makes the difference. Everyone is using the same frameworks and the same technologies for those uh, machine learning frameworks to which a lot of people are contributing. We're contributing as well. But the key differentiating factor is the data that you use. And then the that's the bet we took of uh, really choosing uh, one particular specific domain and identifying within that domain all the different lexical fields and collecting data on that so that we can have the most accurate machine translation engines for those various domains. Yeah, I think that's really good advice for any small and medium-sized business, really, you know, is to focus on something if you can. It's really helpful. I mean, not just for like providing the service, but also for sales and marketing, because you know exactly who you're selling to and who they are. And I, I suppose that's been helpful. Yeah, you know, I think it's a bit like in the past, like uh, 20 years ago, you had the guys like me coming out of the financial sector and being keen on languages may have uh, created a translation agency, a traditional one, but specialized for the financial domain. It's always good to be on a niche, to be the best at what you do. And, and that's, that's valid as well for the translators we are working with. When we see uh, 
when you know you go and look at a translator's profile and you're looking you know coming back to our topic of where can we find the translators who are good in finance when you look at the, the profile of people and then you find one who is very good at uh, who says we specialize in finance and then is uh, specialized in automobile and in medical and in phlebology and in rocket science so he's not very specialized hmm. uh, so uh, For me, I would expect to see uh, I am specialized uh, more on the corporate finance or uh, on the investment finance and within investment finance, more on the custody side, on the security side and those type of things. So that's where you see that people are really specialized. Mm-hmm. And that also explains the, the, the difference in prices because they are, of, of course, more expensive as well, which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah sure. You pay for what you get, I guess. Exactly. Always, just, always the same story. <laughs> yeah. I got to go back to something you mentioned at the beginning that basically within financial like financial institutions there are people that speak more than one language and they end up doing the translation so it's often not trained translators. So now when they're using your MT engine I guess there's still post editing to do and if they don't outsource it do you often see that it still is done within the institution but now they just have to do the post editing instead of the whole translation? Or do they handle it differently once they start working with your empty engine? No, the, the idea when we come up with our, when we propose directly our empty engine is that indeed they do it today. Uh, they will carry on doing it tomorrow. They will spend just, they will just be three times quicker in doing it. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. If today they are outsourcing uh, their translation, we're not going to come and propose them a machine translation engine where they would need to post edit because that would be giving them more work than they have to do. The only case where you can do that uh, is the case I was mentioning with HSBC is uh, if uh, they are outsourcing, uh, but because their texts are so complex or difficult uh, that when it comes back, they have to redo everything. Uh, in that case, they will be keen to use our tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know that you use WordB to power part of your service, right? Absolutely. Cool. So let's, we should, so, we would be remiss if we didn't mention like, so yes. what, what do you love about WordBe? I am in love with WordBe. So the, we, <laughs> we're, we're in love with you too. <laughs> so, I'm blushing. So, we have been working with WordBe for a very long time. So our API has been integrated into a WordBe translation tool for four or five years now. So that means that all WordB clients potentially can access uh, our translation engines if they want to. The way we work, uh, we are probably, and what we do is that we, in WordB, you have an administrative module where, you know, you can uh, create the workflows and then allocate the jobs. And you can, you also have a client interface where you can give access to your clients so that your clients can post some uh, or require some um, projects and obtain a quote, but uh, they can also use that interface uh, to obtain a machine translation directly from the documents they want. And this is that particular interface that our clients are using. So we're probably one of the biggest users of a machine translation uh, interface uh, in WordB because that's uh, usually uh, the route and the interface we are recommending to our own clients. And we find this obviously very practical because of 
uh, World B is handling very well one thing which is very, very complicated in that business. Because when you talk, I've talked about machine translation, I've talked a lot about the engines. The engine, what it does is that it takes one sentence and it translates that sentence in another sentence in another language. What is happening before that is that you need to identify the sentence. And that's what B is very good at because it can handle many different types of uh, formats of documents, including PDFs, which is a huge added value. And it can properly identify the sentences at the right, uh, the right level in order to obtain the best translation. Because if you segment a text with uh, one half of a sentence and then the other half of a sentence and you send two requests to a translation engine, it's as if you were sending the first half of a sentence to translator one and the second half to translator two. So you have a strong probability that the whole thing put back together will not mean anything at all. So the segmentation is extremely important and that's what uh, WordB does very well. And that's what, what, you know, that's what we use a lot. And uh, uh, yeah, and that's really uh, will be is a very important part of our day-to-day uh, -day life. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I was just having a conversation with uh, with a current prospect of ours, actually Jeff, uh, in Montreal, and we were talking about MT Hive, and it's actually a pretty uncommon feature, I think, or an uncommon solution. The the part where where you can offer customers the self service uh, machine translation part. Um, so yeah, we're we're glad that we're glad that it works for you. I think you are one of the biggest users of it too. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, no, I think we we are we're happy to uh, you know to also contribute to try to uh, to recommend uh, you know it, it's already working it, it's working very well uh, you know there's not much to say on that uh, so um, uh, and it's been very robust as well uh, it's it's been extremely rare. Uh, that we experienced any type of issues that can always happen. You know, when you're talking about technical, we experience that as well on our side. Sometimes you may have something that uh, goes wrong here and there, but here really, uh, it's extremely robust. And also what is even more important is that the technical team is super reactive. So uh, I think you are allowed uh, to have, uh, and, and here actually it does not really happen, but uh, uh, the rare cases when it happened, uh, uh, I may, may have happened once last year, just to give an idea of uh, uh, the, the, the team is extremely reactive and uh, reacts immediately. So uh, very impressed So with, uh, with all this. So we are um, uh, we're also uh, actually, uh, one, one thing maybe we, we, I can mention here is uh, we're also looking at um, promoting the B-Box uh, uh, to some of our uh, institutional clients who are, because one of the issues we face with uh, financial institutions is that a lot of them are very old fashioned in the way they approach technical solutions. So that means uh, they say, oh, okay, that's interesting, but we want to have everything in house on our servers and we don't want you to access it. Uh, which is a little bit complicated when you sell machine translation engines that are done uh, using uh, neural networks and that evolve on a daily basis. So mm -hmm. I keep telling them it's not a, it's not an application which is uh, uh, there, uh, steady and not moving. You know, it evolves all the time, so that's not easy. And uh, 
the B box is actually something that um, could offer an alternative to secure uh, the banks uh, who really are uh, not too keen to see their documents going out of their infrastructure mm. because then that allows uh, the documents to be uh, to stay within the banks, to be analyzed and segmented within the banks, to call upon their translation memories within the bank, mm -hmm. and only the sentences that needs to be machine translated go out. They can go out in a random order. Uh, and on top of that, you know, on our side, this can be raised immediately. So in, in fact, so that means that, that they have the best of both worlds uh, here. And the B box is um, uh, is is, a, is not a, it's not a huge thing to implement uh, mm -hmm. within a client. It's not a huge IT project. So this is something uh, new that we are working on together with um, with WorldB uh, and to try to to push uh, this solution. Uh, also, so in, in, uh, on our various markets, so as you understood from, uh, from my accent, and I mentioned it, we are based in France. Uh, but, uh, we're also, uh, looking at, um, uh, enlarging and having a foreign office uh, in Luxembourg soon, uh, close to World B. Uh, because we uh, we got an award at the recent fintech awards uh, in uh, in Luxembourg, so that that would be a good opportunity also to do uh, to promote uh, the B box to our uh, clients there. Cool! Uh, congratulations for the award. What what was the award exactly? So we uh, we take part because we we belong to the fintech ecosystem uh, as. Um, Uh, a company that uh, that brings innovative technology to the financial world and financial domain. So we belong to all plenty of different clusters on this. So as a consequence, we take part to many different type of forums and uh, and fairs and contests. And uh, there was in last June there was the Luxembourg uh, FinTech Awards. So you had 200 companies that applied, and we arrived uh, second, which uh, allowed wow. us. Uh, therefore, to integrate the Luxembourg uh, fintech ecosystem uh, with uh, with uh, offices and uh, and plenty of things there, but uh, it's it's fairly. We, we were invited recently to pitch also at the Tokyo fintech forum, and we had the fintech uh, uh, fintech um, fair or fintech summit in uh, in Canada next week, and in Singapore in two weeks at the Singapore fintech festival. Wow. Um, so, and, and we will show uh, the WorldB interface uh, uh, there uh, as a demo. Cool, cool. Well, uh, we, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing great. Um, and to all the listeners out there, uh, if you, you know, need some some financial uh, machine translation or if you just need some some consulting or you need services of, of any kind related to localization for the finance industry, um, Olivier is at Lingua Custodia and I guess they can reach out to you just on your website? Yes, absolutely. Cool. And that is linguacustodia.finance. Exactly. Cool. I think that was pretty good. Um, Robert, do you have any more questions? No, I'm good. I'm. It, it was super interesting. I, the whole financial world is great and Um, you know, I do, I, I, I do love to pick on, because I have a lot of friends that work in finance, so I have a lot of respect for that. I mean, it's hard work, it's detailed work, long hours, a lot of pressure, um, you know, but that thing you were saying about the, the financial companies struggling with high tech, um, I would just like to take another moment to make fun of my friends' laptops. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I think it's so crazy, you know, because it's true. Like the, the, you know, I have all these friends that work in finance and, you know, they're always super well-dressed, you know, they got the cool watch, they got like, everything is cool, you know, and then they whip out their laptop and it's really like a tank, you know, and I, I just love that. It, it's, <laughs> it's so yeah, funny. It's a good, it's a black IBM usually, isn't it? Which, yeah, which yeah, 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 yeah. Usually it's an yes. IBM and sometimes it might be like a Lenovo. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's the world of finance, indeed. Yeah, yeah, hard work, big laptops. <laughs> so, okay, all right. Well, that was another episode of the International Bus, brought to you by Wopi. This time with Olivier Debuny. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>